first of all, they ask if you want to be a doctor or when you're going to be a doctor. And then if you say no to that, then they ask you if you want to marry a doctor. <laughs> I would hate to be held back like that. There's no way I would want to settle and stay somewhere just because I feel comfortable and I'm afraid to be the new one. Not everyone can recognize like your beauty or the beauty in something, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's just because someone can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Hello, lovely neighborhood. I know this would normally be a Yays of Our Lives episode, but last week's was a longer hybrid, so we skipped the regular interview. Plus, normal isn't really a concept for me at the moment. So long story short, this week you're getting two regular interviews. We'll be back next week with a Yays of Our Lives episode on our Northern Territory experience with some delightful co-hosts who I was lucky enough to share it with. I'm not sure whether it was because of how transformative that trip was and taking a full week away from the concept of time or because the world is still in a bit of flux, but I have definitely been feeling a little out of sorts lately. So while we don't have a quote of the A for this week, just a little reminder to anyone else feeling that way that if you haven't gone back to normal, in inverted commas, neither has the world. So that is quite okay. Uncertainty can be exciting and fruitful, but it's also pretty disorientating. So keep being gentle on yourselves. There's still a lot going on and you are doing amazing. In the meantime, today's guest is a little ray of sunshine to keep you going. I can almost hear her smile coming through the headphones. Georgie Mankey is our first nurse on the show who absolutely dispels the misconception that nursing is just where you end up if you didn't become a doctor, sharing her longtime dream of nursing in ICU and how she worked her way up there. We also cover her little hiatus from nursing to complete her yoga teacher training, leading to several stints in India and even a period juggling both full-time jobs before ultimately coming back to nursing as her first love. In that time, you may have also known her as Fit with Georgie, where she grew quite a considerable online community around her practice and lifestyle. She also shares openly about why she's taken a step back from the online world, going against the grain to find a balance that makes her yay. I hope you enjoy. Georgie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. (gasps) So nice to see you. It's been so long. I know we were just saying that I can't, I actually can't remember how long it's been. And last year doesn't really count though, does it? Like that's just a year that's... (laughs) This vortex of time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get started, I always start every episode with a little icebreaker to just ask everyone what the most down-to-earth thing is about them, to break through what is an often really glossy surface of our digital lives and And I I guess with you, one of the amazing things that I think is that you just literally came off a night shift 
like <laughs> about two hours ago you finished work, which is absolutely amazing. It's only 10 in the morning. I imagine that's one of the down to earth things about you. What else is really relatable? Yeah. So I just finished my night shift and yeah, this is all just coffee and a little bit of glowy makeup that's <laughs> making me look presented. <laughs> the most down to earth thing about me though, probably, probably just that, the fact that I am just your average down to earth girl. I you know, spend too much time scrolling social media and I burn my toast in the mornings and I, you know, <laughs> I'm in trackies and no bra any chance I can get. And, you know, I don't drink enough water and all those kind of things. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just your average, your average person, like anyone else that might find themselves on, on my Instagram or come across me in real life, you know, I'm just exactly the same. I love that you mentioned not drinking enough water because I think that is actually something that all of us can identify with. Like humans cannot avoid that they need water and yet somehow we all really struggle with our intake. <laughs> exactly. And I always like when I'm at work, especially sometimes I struggle to drink enough water and I always apologize to my kidneys because I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, kidneys. I hope, I hope you're all right. <laughs> and, you know, my other thing is that I'll be drinking like any other liquid apart from water. You know, I, I drink a lot of coffee. So that, and then I'm like, oh, I don't need to drink water, which is so bad. But Well, there's water in coffee, right? So I figured that kind of counts towards your quota a little bit. Don't quote me on it, but let's run with it. <laughs> I'm like, that's nurse approved information now. So <laughs> ticket approval. <laughs> so the first section is your way TA, which is where we trace back through all the different chapters before the one that you are in now, which I know is something you've dreamed about for a really long time, becoming an ICU nurse. But I think if we did meet you now, you know, it's really easy to think that it was a smooth transition that, you know, you set a goal a long time ago and now you're doing it, but all the little diversions and twists and turns and decisions and sliding doors moments. I know there was quite a big diversion for you in India in the middle of everything. So take us all the way back to young Georgie and what you were like as a kid, you know, before you even started thinking about careers and pathways, what was your upbringing like and how was it growing up on the peninsula? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The good old Mornington Peninsula. So we're both Melburnians, aren't we? Mm -hmm. um, I am so much of a beach person. Like I, I moved to the city actually when I first graduated uni and I, I thought like, oh, I've got my nursing job and I want to go and live in the city and see what it's like. And I spent like a year and a half in the city and then yeah, I, I had to tap out. I had to come back to the beach. <laughs> I'm just such a beach person. Honestly, I just, I feel so, so at home and so at peace when I'm at the beach. I mean, I got a good education. I went to a really good school down here on the peninsula. I wouldn't say that I was always like the smartest kid. I always, I think I always just had a really hard work ethic, knowing that, you know, things don't always come, haven't always come naturally to me, whether it's like sporting things or study and that kind of stuff. Like it's never, things are, you know, it never comes naturally to me. I'm not like naturally book smart or anything like that. But to my credit, I've always been a hard worker, um, which has helped me get to where I am today or it's definitely helped me along in life. I always thought that I was a really sporty kid, but I actually just did a lot of gymnastics. So I grew up and I was like, oh, I'm really sporty, but actually I just trained a lot of gym and did nothing else. <laughs> just one sport. <laughs> just a lot of one. <laughs> and was that something that you did? Like, did you compete or was it just for fun? Yeah. 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 So um, I was, did it since I was maybe three or five, since a since little young little thing, like a little kinder gym, a little rug rat just running around. 
but I loved it. And the only reason I stopped, so I stopped when I was 17, so I could focus on high school. And so I could, you know, just as I was about to turn 18 and I wanted to focus on year 12 so I could get a good enter score so I could get into the uni courses that I wanted to. But as a gymnast growing up, you know, I had certain goals or three sort of things that I really wanted to achieve. And I achieved all of those before I, you know, decided to, to leave. And so it was like a good pinnacle for me um, to, to stop there. But yeah, we trained outside of um, outside of school, you know, three times a week and um, competitions. So I just trained and competed within Victoria, I guess, against against other other girls from other clubs around Victoria. It's so interesting how many of us like do something. That's quite a long time to actually continue all the way up to seventeen. But I feel like sometimes we look back and think, oh, what a waste if I didn't continue and do that as a career. But really, you look back and it's it's what teaches you about self management and time management, juggling school gives you discipline and goal setting and all of those valuable things that it's so important, I think, to encourage kids to go and have interests outside of school as well. Exactly. And gymnastics has been like, it set me up so well for so many different things. You know, I learned hard work. I learned, you know, failure. I learned that, you know, you're not always going to win. Um, You're not always going to be first choice. Um, You know, that, you know, even things like falling down and hurting yourself or embarrassing yourself and getting back up again. And you learn that from a really young age as a gymnast and and things like conquering your fears, you know, you're doing cartwheels and flips and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it also taught things like teamwork and self-discipline and even just like body awareness, you know, Um, not like not in terms of body image, I guess, but like, you know, what your body can do and how to hold your body and what it's capable of and and things like that. And yeah. So something that also really fascinates me is that, you know, so much of our school life is really, we're, we're just exploring all the different sides of ourselves and trying out things and either continuing with, with the ones that stick or letting go of things that don't really. But then there's a point like, you know, it's somewhere along the way in high school where you start to translate all your decision-making processes into like, what, what do I need to do for my life? Like, what is a career path? What's sensible? What should, you know, what's successful? When did that sort of career-based thinking start for you? And, you know, you mentioned you had a course that you wanted to get into. How did you choose that? Was it always in health? Is that something that, you know, has been there from the start? Was that from gymnastics, do you think? Like, what was all that kind of life choice process like for you? Yeah, so I didn't ever grow up like as a little kid. I never carried around like a stethoscope or, you know, I never knew from a young age that I really wanted to be a nurse. But I I think from a young age um, when I would have been completely unaware of it, but I can conceptualise it now and then, you know, growing up and growing older, I've always had this like nurturing element or this nurturing nature about me and this like want or this passion just to care for people and help people and look after people you know whether it was you know helping people at school or you know making sure that everyone had a friend to sit with I feel like I've always had this like greater awareness of the people around me you know I would Mm. give everyone else you know all the biggest slices of cake before I would have you know a piece and things like that like I've always just it's just always come natural to me to put myself behind others if that makes sense Mm. but it wasn't until it came time to choosing our subjects for VCE for our final, you know, year 11 and year 12, our final two years of school that I thought like, oh, how can I make this passion of mine to care for people into a career? And I 
I guess maybe gymnastics helped me in the way of being fascinated with the body and how it works. And yeah, I originally thought I wanted to be a chiropractor. Oh, wow. Um, I had many trips to the Cairo as a gymnast. I landed on my head and had a few black eyes. And <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was fun. So I thought I wanted to be a Cairo, but um, then I, when, it, when I was like graduating, you had to, I think the best courses were in New Zealand and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go to New Zealand. So um, I found a course that was actually a double degree in nursing and paramedicine. And I thought, wow, like that sounds amazing. Like everybody likes the idea of lights and sirens and I love blood and guts and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, I want to do that. And the nursing was like, if I get the score, I'll do the double degree. Like why not do, why not do both? So um, yeah, I knew maybe from when I was like 17, um, going into VCA that I, that that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I had to work towards to get that like ATAR score. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and I also love that, you know, I think everyone understands how important nurses are and how much they really hold up sort of the medical system and so many families and people's experience in healthcare. But I don't think we, like, one of the things I love doing on this show is breaking down the things that are really, like, we just take for granted, but most of us don't really understand what it is. And I think a lot of people assume that, you know, the pathway into nursing is often, well, I wanted to be a doctor, but then I ended up as a nurse. But there are people out there who genuinely, their first choice was nursing. So can you explain to us what the pathway into nursing is, what your training is like, what, how you would describe to someone, just say they'd never heard of the concept of nursing, like what it actually means, because I think it's a much more technical and hands-on than you think. When, if anyone's been in hospital, you have much more like 90% the exposure to the nurses than you do to the, the doctors. So you are really taking a patient's care from end to end, like in your hands. And then how did you end up in resp and renal? Like, why was that your specialty? And how did you sort of come into your own as, as a nurse in that area? Yeah. So what I would say, and a good way to describe it, and, and it's one of my favorite things about nursing is that we, we wear so many different hats. So we're not only like some people think like, oh, all you do is wipe bums and clean up poo and, you know, shower old people. And <laughs> honestly, people are like, oh, I couldn't look after old people. But uh, I, the oldies are my favorite. I love them. There's so many that I want to take home. <laughs> and you know what? The generation gap, like I looked after an old gentleman who was not like 92 the other day and just the things you can learn from them and just their nature and to think back of what they've been through is that's a privilege that's um a little side tangent but the grounding that it gives you you know they can't go outside and run and jump and go for a swim in the ocean and prance around in high heels you know they they take it for granted that they're able to get from the bed to the chair in a day by themselves so it's a big grounding a really good reality check working working with the oldies I absolutely love it I think like the privilege of sitting down with someone who's seen generations more than you've even been alive is one of the most eye-opening things you can ever do it's so fascinating to sit and just pick someone's brain about what they've seen and what they've learned and like it's crazy that we don't try and tap into that wisdom more exactly and have you ever like said oh I can't wait till I'm old and I'm just gonna say and do whatever I want and I'm gonna be like this badass little old grandma and you're, 
you come across them and they say like the the sassiest little things they just speak their minds <laughs> like i'll take the leaf out of your book <laughs> but um what i was saying before about um nurses getting to wear so many hats and that's that is one of my favorite things like it's not just the cleaning up of bodily fluids and you know showers and making beds like we're there to give medicine and to give love and nurturance and we you know, we're our voice for our patients if they can't talk and they can't vocalise what they need. And, you know, we can be the person that feeds them spoon by spoon all three meals for a day because, you know, they can't hold their spoons or, you know, they're not able to cut up their meals and we liaise with families and, you know, two family members that aren't getting along together. And, you know, we might be the one that helps them, you know, getting dressed and then mobilising to the bathroom. There's just so many different elements that we get to do and the hats that we get to wear as a nurse and then from patient to patient as well you might look after someone that's as I said in their 90s and then your other patient is 18 and your other patient has very minimal English and the way that you learn to switch and change and approach still with the same like core values of like love and caring and compassion but how it suits the person and the situation it's like that's one of the favorite my favorite things I've learned and a skill that it comes with time and you, you learn and develop it as you go but yeah mm, that's fascinating I really do think there's still a bit of an overhang of that outdated perception of nurses as just you know folding sheets or doing housekeeping functions rather than actually engaging in the medicine and having such a hands-on mm you know, role in the patient's whole journey. So it's fascinating hearing about what it does actually involve for you yeah. and how diverse your role can be. So many options. That's one thing that I love about nursing is that honestly, like there's so many different places you can go and, and, and not even just within the hospital. There's, you know, hospital in the home and district nursing and there's nurses that jump on helicopters and transport patients, you know, from one hospital to the other or they retrieve them from all over and the opportunities are endless as to where you can where you can go and what you can do. And so what led you into like firstly can you explain to us what resp and renal is like what that specialty is and what that would actually involve back when you were on that ward? Yeah so resp, resp is respiratory so which is lungs um, and renal is kidneys so lungs and kidneys is is where I spent what two two and a half maybe three years so uh, as I said when I graduated uni um I did a, a four-year course, so I studied the, my double degree, which was nursing and paramedics. Each single course is three years, um, but the double combined is four, um, and they don't run it anymore. So I was very lucky. I was one of like sort of the last years to graduate um, with both, which is, you know, I, I think, it, and it, it's really helped me in, in my nursing, having like that other pre-hospital kind of experience as well. But yeah, I worked in the city at the Royal Melbourne for a few years. And then, as I said, city life wasn't for me. So uh, <laughs> I um, got like a casual job at, at the hospital that I work at now. And my first shift there, I just picked up a shift on a random ward. And the boss came up to me at the end of the day and she said, do you want a job here? And I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> so, and I had no idea. I, I was like, I, I guess so. Yeah, sure. Um, and it was one of the best decisions of my life. It's, I absolutely loved it. The team I worked with was really young and fun and really like enthusiastic and, and really like hardworking 
really dedicated and the mixture of the two specialties lungs and kidneys like they're two very vital organs in the body all our organs are vital but lungs and kidneys especially so you know we looked after common colds and chest infections things like that all the way to people that have tracheostomies you know the breathing tube in their neck or laryngectomies which is just a hole in the neck people that need a mask to help them breathing so many different like elements of respiratory nursing um, and then renals patients on dialysis, um, whether it was hemodialysis where they access your veins or a peritoneal dialysis where you've got a tube coming out of your abdomen, your belly. And it's very fascinating the way the lungs and kidneys work together. If your kidneys aren't that great, you know, you're not that good at eliminating fluids. And then the fluid backs up into the rest of your body and finds its way to your lungs. So then you become a lung and a kidney patient. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And then learning the way the body interacts like that. It's a really great specialty. And then that became the launch pad for me to really step up and, and specialize. And the what I worked on, I guess I showed a lot of enthusiasm and I became, I wasn't a senior staff member because I'm too young, <laughs> but I had some really good skills and, you know, I showed a lot of drive and passion and I learned a lot there. Um, so then I took those skills with me and then what was it? End of 2019, I applied to the intensive care unit. So <laughs> I took all those skills and packed them with me and ran my way off to, to ICU. <laughs> I think <laughs> one of the most amazing parts of any kind of, intense medical career and pathway is that there is so much ongoing learning, like more than in any other field, your ongoing education is, you know, because medicine is advancing all the time. Like you do have this constant, I mean, it takes to be a surgeon, what, like a million years, but <laughs> <laughs> but there's always something new to learn about the body. So knowing that, you know, you'd, you could go on and do a post-grad year in a specialization that was different to where you started. And now mm. you're about to do another graduate diploma. Like there's just ongoing learning with something that makes clearly makes you sparkle. I mean, the way your face lights up when you talk <laughs> about procedures is like, I can tell that you're doing something that you really love. Yeah. And I, I'm like a big medical nerd. And I think if I wasn't, if old me wasn't as scared of blood as she was, even though now I'm fascinated by it, I would have loved this career, which is why talking to people like you is like, I need to hear about how you intubate people. I'm so excited to talk about ICU. <laughs> but first, I would love to talk about your little diversion that happened in the middle of all this between <laughs> the ward work and then going back to study for ICU. There was a very large yogi phase where you did your yoga teacher training, spent quite a long time in India. You also on the side had been running this huge account fit with Georgie that I, when I first met you, we had been, you know, going to a lot of events and a lot of them were during the day. And you're like, yeah, I have a full-time job as well. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, how are you, how are you juggling all this? And I think what's beautiful in being friends with someone for this long is that you can, I remember talking to you in that phase where you were like, I think I need some time away from nursing, but now seeing that you're back studying and like doing what you love is so exciting, but talk us through that whole transition out and back in because diversions out of what you love to come back into them. That's part of the story. But I think we, we get so scared of losing what we have. There's so much prestige wrapped up in the intellect of what you were doing. Mm -hmm. And then to go into yoga is sort of like such a different world and different metrics. And yeah, talk us through all of that sort of 2019, was it 2018, 2019 phase? 18, 18, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I guess the opportunity like started. So my, I had like a, just a temporary contract at my, at the, the Respen Renal Ward that I worked on. Um, my contract 
you know, it was a couple of weeks before it was up and I went to my boss and I said, my contract is ending. I want to stay working here, but I also want to take the opportunity of my contract ending to travel. I hadn't done the whole like big travel kind of thing, like mm-hmm. since finishing school. So I said, I want to travel. Can I have a job when I come back? And she said, no worries. I'll give you a permanent, like here's a permanent contract. Come back whenever you're ready. You can have leave without pay. Just please come back. So kudos to my boss. And hopefully that's a reflection of, of me and me as a, as a staff member and as a worker. I think, you know, I was really valued. So I was very lucky to have a job to come back to. Um, mm. I ended up taking seven months off. I went and I traveled um, Europe for six months um, all throughout the summer and, and winter actually. Um, <laughs> and then smack bang in the middle of my like Europe sort of UK travels, I spent five or six weeks in India. And that was like the first part of my trip that I booked. And when I got home, people would say like, oh, you know, I went to 21 different countries and people say, you know, you were traveling Europe, where was the best? And I said, I would say India. And everyone was so confused. I'd be like, well, India is not in Europe. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> but um, it truly, it was, it was my absolute favorite of them all. So yeah, I booked my spot on, on a yoga teacher training with some very good friends of mine. I that they're a Melbourne-based, I guess, company that that run yoga teacher trainings. And um, was that with Josh Blair? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. So I went over and I did my yoga teacher training with them in in India, and we were in Rishikesh, which is literally thought to be the birthplace of yoga, where it was conceptualized and written down on, I think, a banana leaf or a palm leaf, or. <laughs> Of course it was. <laughs> exactly. You know, we stayed at the foothills of the Himalaya right along the, the Ganges or Ganga, it's called, um, you know, the Holy River. And yeah, we, we learned for, for a month how to be yoga teachers. It was absolutely phenomenal. And by then I think I'd already, I had sort of learned and practiced on my own for a while. And then, yeah, 2019 is when I took the, the leap to then learn how to be a teacher. And I was very fortunate that at the end of my teacher training, Josh and Izzy, um, on behalf of On People, invited me back the next year to go and facilitate the, the training the year after. So I went back the year later to India again, which was absolutely beautiful. Oh, my gosh. That's why I feel like you were there for two years because, yeah. like, you kind of were, but just there was a big gap in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so something I always talk about, on CCA is the importance of moving away from your vocation and your profession and how sometimes, you know, that seems like, like I remember when I was in the law firm, I didn't want to take any time off even to do postgrad, even if it was still in law, because the sense of being left behind your your cohort and like losing time and, and also just like, you know, I find that if I haven't done something in a little while, even if I haven't done yoga in a couple of weeks, when I come back, I'm like, am I a beginner? Do I even know how to do this? Like the fear of, of losing that side of your brain when you go and do something different. It's, it's scary to take that much time away from something that you love. But I also think you bring back so much richness and depth by doing something different. And it doesn't have to be a seven month global 21 country exploration. It could just be like a weekend or a month. But getting away from what you do to come back is so valuable, even though I don't think we prioritize that very much. How did you, I mean, get the balls to do that? Were you worried about, I mean, I know you had a job when you came back, but what pushed you to to do such a big undertaking and then what do you think you brought back to it afterwards that has enriched you since then? 
Yeah, I think, well, as I said, yeah, I was, I was very lucky to come back to a job and I met a lot of travellers along the way on all of my trip that um, didn't have that privilege. Um, I realised pretty quick that I was very lucky and it's quite a privilege that not everyone has when they do those travels that I, I did get to I knew I had a guaranteed income when I got, when I got home, but um, you're, you're right. I hadn't actually really thought of that in terms of like the need to maybe to dip out of, out of my profession and what I was in before coming back and, and how I would be coming back or whether it would be, would be any different, but it was just, yeah, it was the right timing in terms of like the, I guess the phase of my life as well. It just seemed right. And I'd love to, you know, claim that I came back enlightened or so much more holy or more down to earth. I don't know, but I, I just think I came back with, with a lot more, you know, laughs and memories and, you know, just more, more enriched with experience. Yeah. And then I came back with like a fire in my belly and a zest. I thought, I, I don't like it when people say like, I've done Europe, like I've done it. <laughs> <Tick>. <laughs> Can you do Europe? I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I sort of quenched that thirst to, to get away and do this, this big travel. And then I came back and I was like okay you know career and you know this is this is where I want to go next and it was almost like a, a launching pad to be like okay what's next like how do I pivot from here and where am I going to go next yeah so it was kind of like a gap year like it, it sounds like it wasn't I'm going to do my teacher training to now be a yoga teacher and leave nursing altogether it was like a little hiatus of life for you to go and gather yourself and and do something completely different and I actually think a lot of people do their teacher training not necessarily because they want to be a yoga teacher as their job. It's like such a transformative process in itself for your own practice or for maybe down the track being able to teach. But the fact that you came back to nursing I think is really interesting as well because, again, I think people who are so focused on productivity would be like, well, why did you go and do this training when you, that's not what you wanted to use it for? But yeah. again, I love that you're just, you seem very balanced in that it was like, it's a life experience that I had on my list and I needed to get out of my body. 100%. Yeah. And I, like I did, so I came back and I taught for about a year, but I kept my regular nursing hours trying to fit it in, in, in my days off or like around my, my nursing, my nursing job was tough. Uh, shift work is tough in the first place, <laughs> let alone trying to fit in teaching as well. And me being me, I guess I'm quite, I carry, I feel like I have a lot of like excitement and hope and maybe I think I've probably put a fair bit of pressure on myself potentially from like the relative success or the growth that was my Instagram up until I did my teacher training I came back thinking that I should and will be a great teacher that's not the way it works no one just does one little certificate and comes back and are amazing (laughs) I knew that but I still thought this is going to be great I can high achieve this situation I can high achieve my way through it yeah type a I'm going to smash it out (laughs) but um I type a the shit out of it to the point where I was like I was getting myself really like worked up and quite anxious in teaching And I got to the point where, yeah, I'd be really stressed out and putting in so much energy and effort and creating the perfect playlists and all of these things just to, yeah, I kind of, I feel like I I lost a bit of like love for for teaching and, you know, then I wasn't doing my own yoga practice when I was teaching as much, um, which is a classic case for anyone. I think people that own gyms don't always have time to train and yeah, I kind of, I lost the the love for teaching um, and, and sort of lost my practice amidst that. So uh, yeah, I ended up dropping the teaching and nursing has always been like my, my passion. So even though, um, you know, I love yoga and I 
you know, thought that I would absolutely love teaching and I thought I'd be able to balance the two, maybe drop some nursing hours and, and teach and, you know, keep them working together, I guess. But through that experience, it just helped me like recognize and realize that whilst they both, you know, are, are a way of like, uh, you know, showing like love and appreciation and compassion for the body in, in very different ways, nursing is just where it's at for me. And that, that just to me highlighted that, that how much I love it. Like I could talk to people until like the leg falls off a chair, how much I love nursing. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't get that with, with my yoga teaching. So um, I think one day I would love to be able to bring yoga teaching or, or, you know, yoga classes to the hospital or to healthcare professionals. I think there's a big gap and a big role for that for, for shift workers who are under the pump, who mm. are stressed, who are working weird hours. You know, we're putting our minds and our bodies on the line. I'd love to maybe one day amalgamate that together. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I read in your goal setting from the start of 2020 for, of your post-grade year was that good things take time, great things take a lifetime. And I think you're such a wonderful example of someone who's multi-interested and multi-passionate, mm. how it is all just a juggling act and every part of every experience is figuring out what works and what doesn't and you try and do both for sometimes and then you might realize actually my dominant passion right now is nursing and then maybe in 10 years time it'll go back to yoga and I love that you're really showing just how flexible you have to be towards what suits your life at what times but if nursing is what really really lights you up right now I love that that's what you're doing with yourself and that's why I wanted to get you on the show so much because it shines through how passionate you are about what you do. And we haven't had a nurse on the show yet, even though we've had many requests. And so now I'd love you to just tell us everything you love about it. Tell us about doing ICU in in, well, in COVID, but also just doing it generally. ICU fascinates me. Your goal at the start of the year was to try not to cry all the time, which I think <laughs> oh. is like, tell us a little bit more about that. Oh my Lord. But also that you've learned, you know, I think you did a little summary post I've clearly done a lot of stalking you did a little <laughs> summary post on like before didn't know what propofol was had never intubated someone before never touched a ventilator yeah. now love propofol like <laughs> talk us through the wild world of ICU nursing why you love it so much and maybe you know maybe just maybe we'll spark and some you know, aspiring young nurses out there who didn't, had never thought of it before. Yeah. So I guess like what I learned with the respiratory renal um, that I, that I was nursing. Yeah. I learned some really like acute skills, I guess, for patients that aren't quite managing and aren't quite well enough to be managing on their own without, you know, extra interventions, extra um, machines and equipment. But I always had this like question in the back of my head and and I would always like chase after the doctors and go running after people. And the drive was, but why? And I always just, I was, I always wanted to know. And, you know, like some, some people I would, some nurses I would come across and we might be talking and I would ask them like, oh, why are you doing that? And they'd say, oh, cause the doctor told me to. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> my brain just doesn't work like that. So I, I literally would be the nurse that would run after the doctors and I'd be like, can you explain this to me? And I always just wanted to know more. And so I think deep down in the back of my head, I always knew I wanted to end up in ICU. And that would have been the driving force is that curiosity to want to know the whys and then, you know, why again and why again. And you, like, 
yeah, just to keep nitpicking. Um, and so I thought the best place to land for that is is intensive care where you've got the sickest of the sick, people on life support, people who, you know, have died um, and, you know, you've brought them back through like your CPR or um, <gasps> who are trying to die or, you know, who are acutely deteriorating and the things that we can do. Two things that fascinate me so much about intensive care is like the first is that like what we have at our fingertips to keep people alive in terms of medicines and procedures and equipment. Like it's absolutely amazing. Um, it's mind boggling. And the ICU that I work at is just a tiny little baby ICU um, compared to some of the major city ones that have so many things that they can do to, to keep someone alive. And the second thing that fascinates me about intensive care and is um, the just the human body and how hard it works and exactly what it can do and for how long it will work so hard to keep your body in equilibrium and keep your body trying to be as best as what it can be even though you know things are going wrong it's it's fascinating to see all of the things the body can do on its own to just keep you rocking and rolling as smoothly as possible it's just amazing oh my gosh more and more i'm like i need to be in a hospital this is so fascinating such <laughs> a geek for it as well and as you said like you know forever learning it's the career that honestly like i i say it as a joke but it's so true like i literally learn something new every day like it's mm. i it's such a great career and place to have landed for the curious brain that loves the body yeah what about from the more practical side of things? Like obviously you've just come off a night shift and that's incredibly hard on the body. Uh, also some of the procedures that you get to do, like tell us about what Propofol actually is like, <laughs> so that we can walk away from this episode with some nursing knowledge. Like, <laughs> And what, you know, day to day, what are some of the things you might see? And I imagine in ICU because it's not specific to a part of the body that you do get just such a broad range of medicine you know, that is different for every patient and every day. Yeah. So um, what a typical day would be like, I guess. So we work like 12 hour shifts. So it's, you know, like eight until eight or eight until eight, <laughs> you know, it's one chunk of like the day or the night. And, you know, that's, the, it is a long shift, but um, I guess the benefits to that is it's continuity of care. You get to spend 12 hours with your patient. You really get to know them. Um, you get to know, you know, like what's going on internally by looking at their blood work and all of their numbers. Um, and you get to know them in terms of their past history and things that, you know, are playing a role into why they're in a bed in front of you. And, you know, you get to watch trends. Maybe you give a medicine at 8 a.m. and by 4 p.m. you see this huge change because you've given this stuff. So the 12-hour shifts, I think, are great. Sometimes if maybe if it wasn't the nicest patient in front of you, it can be a long 12 hours. It can be pretty tough sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not nice getting yelled at for 12 hours or, you know, getting stuff thrown at you or things like that. But that's rare. It's very funny how many people, yeah, ask like, oh, first of all, I ask if you want to be a doctor or when you're going to be a doctor. Um, and then if you say no to that, then they ask you if you want to marry a doctor. No. <laughs> was, yeah, yeah. So many people. It's it's kind of a bit archaic or a bit old, not archaic. It's a bit old school now. I'm not here to marry a doctor. I want to say, <laughs> what? <laughs> but also I would love to know, like, is it frustrating that people ask you that all the time, particularly if that's not what you want? But secondly, why is it like, what is it about a doctor's role versus a nurse's role 
that you that makes you so excited about nursing and not so excited about being a doctor? Yeah. So first of all, like I, yeah, I never wanted to be a doctor. Even when I finished school, I, that was never a goal of mine to be a doctor. And I never thought like, oh, I'll do this and make my way. Mm. Um, even though you're both working within the same hospital with exactly the same patient, like the discipline is so different. Their level of knowledge is insane. And quite frankly, I don't think I'm smart enough to be a doctor. <laughs> um, we will get to imposter syndrome after this. <laughs> I'm here for it. No, um, originally I, I thought I just didn't want to study for that long doctors usually study at least six years and then all of the internships and all that but by the time I'm finishing the course that I am doing now I will have, I will have studied for seven years so that's not a reason <laughs> yeah so for me it's like the the patient care side of it I love you know being the one to deliver the care and being by the bedside with the patient where I can spend time giving myself and my my love and my nurturance and my skill, my knowledge, my understanding, my past experience to this patient or patients if I've got a few. It's a, yeah, it's a real privilege for us to be there as part of the person's life, you know, when they're maybe having like the worst day of their life and that we get to be there for so long. Whereas Mm -hmm. the doctors are obviously managing multiple patients, you know, our ICU, you know, we've got up to 15 beds. Some wards have 30 plus beds and, you know, they're ordering care and, you know, overseeing all of this stuff, but they're not directly involved with the patients, I guess, as much or as long as a nurse is. And as I said, I just, I just don't think I have enough brain space to hold what they know. It's, it's madness. My hat goes off to them, just how much they know. It's, it's insane how knowledgeable our doctors are. Well, I think that's actually really, really important insight because again, until you have a friend who works in a hospital or know someone who is a nurse and also know someone who's a doctor, so you can kind of even compare what they do day to day. I don't think many people would have heard that insight before that nursing is a lot of the patient care and the doctors are doing the supervisory thing at the top. So if the patient interaction is your passion, you won't necessarily get that outside of a nursing role. And I love that you chose nursing for nursing, not as a default to doctoring, like many people would assume. But I also would love to move on to the way that, you know, one of the topics we talk about the most in the next section, NATA, is self-doubt and imposter syndrome and the fact that your explanation <laughs> was because you love nursing but also because you don't think you'd be smart enough to be a doctor, which is a ridiculous thing to say because I am I feel like it takes equally and a very different intellect um, but still an incredible amount of knowledge to hold into your head, inside your head to be a nurse. How do you think self-doubt has played out for you over the years? Has it been something where particularly in a pathway where you've had a lot of title changes and you've had a lot of different worlds as well where you've been successful? So the Instagram world being fit with Georgie and that was on a huge trajectory and then focusing more on yoga you and not having, you know, not being in a hospital and being a yoga teacher where there's not as much prestige as medicine, but there's a, a different world of values and you're, you are gaining a big name there and then coming back to hospitals. Like, I imagine worrying about whether your decisions are right and also worrying that you've been a newbie quite a few times now as well and in an area like medicine where you are constantly learning new things and might be doing procedures you've never done before. You know, even 10 years into your career, you could be doing something new. How do you cope with that? Am I good enough to be here? Do I know what I'm doing? You know, how has that played out for you? Yeah, I don't think I've ever like doubted myself in terms of nursing. I've never doubted myself so much until I moved to ICU. Um, I was so excited to get there and I thought I thought that 
the transition coming from where I did work would be not easy, but I thought it would be like smooth. And then I got there and I was like, oh my God, as I said, like, so propofol is um, a sedation. You give it into, it's an infusion you give into the veins through a drip and it just puts people off to sleep into what you would say, like in air quotes, like an induced coma. I had no idea what that was. There were so many things in ICU that I had absolutely zero clue about. And so I had this huge, but I'd been nursing by then for like five years. So I had this like level of experience about me, but then I just jumped into a completely different pond, I guess. And I was all of a sudden a tiny little fish in a huge pond Mm -hmm. where it was really, it was really hard. It was tough, I guess, tough on the ego for me to feel out of my depth and so new and fresh somewhere. But that was also, I guess, like looking back at it, a really strengthening and potentially humbling kind of experience. I know when I left where I had worked, Um, I had a colleague say to me like, oh, wow, I'd love to do that, but I could never be the new person. I just don't want to leave, you know, where I am here. I'm too comfortable. Mm. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, like I would hate to be held back like that. There's no way I would want to just settle and stay somewhere just because I feel comfortable and I'm afraid to be the new one. So yeah, I, I don't think that's ever held me back, which is, which is a good thing. I think it's a strength of mine that I'm not afraid to be new or be fresh or, you know, not understand or be out of my comfort zone. Um, but yeah, with that came a lot of, a lot of quick learning that really like knocked, it knocked my confidence a lot moving somewhere like that. Mm. And then in terms of imposter syndrome, I guess there's a link between my social media. So my fit with Georgie that, um, so I changed, I changed the name of it to my, my name, um, sort of actually after my India trip where I really decided to take ownership, I guess, of me. So Mm. I changed it to that and the sort of focus shifted a little bit, I guess a little bit, I diverted away so much from my social media. I haven't been as active on it or as vocal as what I used to be in the same way that I used to be. As I said, like I've always known that nursing is my my key passion and that social media, you know, I, I I guess I gathered some momentum when when Instagram yoga was quite new. And so I was part of this like up upcoming of of Instagram yoga. And it, you know, I was very lucky and very fortunate with that. And it led me to doing things like my teacher training and it, it gave me so many amazing opportunities and I got to do so many cool things with it but and it comes I'm sure you get it as well it comes with having like a a public social media profile that a lot of people knew who I was and I didn't know who they were Mm. Um, and it happened a lot at my work and so when I moved to um, the ICU and even when I moved to you know the hospital I work at in general I had people that I'd never even met and nurses that I'd never even met but they knew me and with that and the fact that you know I spoke a lot about yoga and meditation and mindfulness and spirituality and things like that. A lot of people thought that, you know, like I'm supposed to be this, the yoga girl. Like I actually had someone say to me like, oh, you're the yoga girl. Um, And people that I didn't know came up to me and said like, how was your trip in India and all this stuff. And it actually, it kind of made me feel a bit like uneasy because I was like, oh, I have to be really mindful about what I'm putting out on my social media. And also that these people that I have no idea about who I'm working professionally with, they know a lot about me. And I just, I sort of took a, maybe I put the brakes on a little bit with my social media over the last few years for that reason that I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at, but I found it. Yeah. I found it a little bit impostery in that I would arrive at a new workplace and a lot of people knew who I was when I had no idea who they were. It kind of, yeah, it got to me a little bit. I think it's also really interesting to hear from someone who does have, you do have kind of both. You had quite a big profile in one part of your identity, but in the other, 
it is not necessarily bad to have anonymity and a clean slate when you arrive at work and you're treating a patient so intimately and, you know, you're in a workplace. And, you know, for people whose only vocation, whose only profession and job is based on social media ramping up, like myself at the moment, it all ties together. So it kind of makes sense. But I think it's really interesting for people to hear that for some people, they're two different worlds and there is a bit of a juggle and more and bigger isn't always better because it maybe doesn't serve the purposes that you want it to. So I think that's also a good reminder to everyone to find the relationship with these platforms that works for your life. And that doesn't necessarily mean being on it all the time, even if you do get wonderful opportunities from that. There are some life structures where you do want to take your foot off off the accelerator a little bit and allow yourself some privacy and anonymity and and to separate parts of your life yeah exactly and I think like one of the main reasons that I I sort of got a bit funny about it for a while is yeah I think I think people had a preconceived idea about me just through like these tiny little images that they would see on the screen and you know I, I, I definitely think that I've always been myself on social media I've always been very just me very you know upfront and very like honest and humble but yeah I know a lot of people thought that I I would be this like chill calm like spiritual person and then yeah like stressed and anxious and as yeah you said before like try not to cry all the time and these people like are looking around at each other like isn't this chick supposed to be like really chill <laughs> <laughs> isn't she Buddha like what oh, is happening she's closing the curtains on her cubicle and crying so no one can see her <laughs> <laughs> I think people like they mistake that, that I do yoga and that I'm like this real chill person that I'm so Zen and I meditate. I do that because I am naturally an anxious person and I'm naturally a, you know, quite a a stressed person that is that type A, like brain always running. And Mm. yeah, it's, it's kind of the opposite. It's like chicken and the egg. Like, well on that, how do you manage the anxiousness and perfectionism, but also not just physical fatigue doing shift work, but the compassion fatigue that I imagine would be really hard to, when you are a nurturer, to leave some of those cases at work when you need to come home and like sleep and rest and not be everything to that person for the whole time that you're treating them? How do you kind of put up boundaries if you have any (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting that their boundaries and yeah that's it's that's something that you don't like you don't just get that you don't just have that as a as a nurse or as Mm. a professional and you don't really learn that at uni I guess and I think I think everyone has the intention to that we always try and put ourselves in in the place of the patient and think that you know if it was me or if it was my grandma or my loved one you know in the bed what would I want for them and so I do find myself giving a lot of myself you know it's to me it's it's no small it's no small feat it doesn't it doesn't take away from me as such like for me and I think because I am I have like that nurturing um nature to me that it fills my cup to be giving myself to others in that way um it doesn't drain me so much but you know compassion fatigue or burnout definitely is a thing um and we do have to be mindful of you know making sure you know the classic old you can't pour from an empty cup and making sure that we are looking after ourselves and one thing i've learned i guess especially in intensive care and throughout my career though is just that knowing and learning when to ask for help before mm. you get to breaking point. You know, there's been many times where I've left work and thought like, oh, could have done better here. And those are the things that keep me up at night, feeling like I could have done better or that even though I tried my hardest, I still feel like I didn't do enough. Mm. But I know that I always do give my best. Sometimes it just doesn't feel like you've been able to do enough. Yeah, totally. So 
In terms of that, like giving yourself a break, (laughs) the last section is your play TA, which is how you find joy that's not related to nursing and that's not related to caring and that's not teaching you anything or winning or achieving anything. And obviously I know yoga is a big joy for you, but that's also kind of a profession for you. So are there any smaller scale, not 21 country trip around the world things (laughs) that you do just to play that you know, make you forget what time it is or that even just like a Netflix show or reading, like what are your, your, yeah, play TAs? My plays. Yeah, I, I do. I love reading. Um, I never used to read as a kid, but I, I do love reading now and I love collecting books. I'd love to have like a, a home library one day I, and like hard copy books. I just love them. Mm. I do enjoy that. So reading is one of my passions. I am vegetarian and for two years I was vegan. And when I turned vegan, I discovered this absolute love for like cooking and baking and creating recipes and making them vegan. Um, So I love like being in the kitchen. I just blast my music really loud and I'll dance around. And I love, I guess, the creative side of maybe making like a vegan mac and cheese or a vegan pesto or vegan cookies or things like that. You know, I, I love that creativity or that side of it. It's a different way of expression, I guess. And my mind is focused just on the task when I'm doing that. I'm not thinking like all these other things I'm thinking about you know, cooking or, you know, reading. It's it's something where your mind is kind of like single task focused, which I really enjoy. And as I said, like earlier on, I love being down by the beach. So anytime that I can be in the water or near the water or on the sand, I could take a book and be down by the beach for, for hours and hours. In the depths of the internet, I also found that you were reading Shantaram while you were in India, which I think <laughs> is like the coolest thing ever, because that's one of my favorite books. Yeah. And I also love reading books about places where you are at the time. So I read The Da Vinci Code in Paris while I was like in the places that they were writing about. And there's something just so cool about being in it while you're reading about it. Did you love Shantaram? Yeah, I did. I really loved it. I thought it was great. And I love, I do love a good like um, true story or based on a true story. I seem to love like murder mysteries and those like murder series on Netflix. They creep me out, but I love them. Same. (laughs) It's so bad because everyone's like, aren't you really joy and humanity and kindness focused? And then you like fall asleep to serial killers. I'm like, yeah, kind of. Yep. You know, I call that balance, don't you? (laughs) I'm balanced somewhere, right? (laughs) So guys, if you haven't read Shantaram, it's, um, it's, fascinating book about it's kind of it's a true story but I feel like there's a bit of creative license in there of a guy who escaped from prison and he ended up in a Mumbai slum and he became the slum doctor even though he wasn't a doctor and I feel like it shows a lot about life in Mumbai and even when he's out in India like the landscape and an Indian culture that you like enlivens it for you in a way that if you've never been there I feel like it's really insightful just like through a random weird story you get to hear all this stuff about how vibrant and colorful and yeah weird it is what a weird and wacky place and the way that he wrote his like rickshaw driver and all that his tour guide would talk to him like even the vocabulary that he used in his book I would obviously read it in their little accents when they talk to you and they offer you like a rickshaw or a bracelet or things like you know you've had all of your experiences and I you could hear like just the way he's written it and I feel like I could almost hear you know the little horns of their little bikes riding down like the dusty roads and I do I do love reading a book where you've you've been there you've experienced the place before yeah totally well just to finish up what are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in interviews or conversations 
Ooh, <laughs> three each. Oh, how interesting do we want to get? <laughs> like, I, I think the weirder the better. <laughs> okay. Um, this is probably like it just fits in with my personality in general. I definitely maybe a little bit, maybe a lot OCD. <laughs> um, <laughs> not like without being officially diagnosed. So ICU is a great place for OCD to hide. It's a fantastic place. But so when I'm hanging my washing out, if I'm hanging like my socks, I always hang my socks in pairs. So they always have to like, I'll pick them, I'll find them in the washing basket and hang them together. Mm-hmm. Both pegs have to be the same color. <laughs> oh, cute. <laughs> That's a little bit OCD, but I just, I just can't not do it. I don't know. I'm, just... I'm the same with like volume. I can't do odd numbers like I yeah. can't leave the car the volume number on odd numbers unless it's a five yeah <laughs> if it's a five it fits nicely so I'm like that's okay that's an okay yeah. odd number it's weird yeah. though like I get really upset if it's 17 I'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah and locker numbers at the gym I'm like if there's not an even number I will leave my stuff out to be stolen because I'm oh. like I can't put it in a 17 or a, like 33 ew so funny do you always go to like if you visit the same place again and again like you'll always go to the same bathroom cubicle or you're always like mm. use the same lift or like totally and the same locker like if I like and I like 24 so if I can get 24 I like twos and fours so like yeah 12 four two like any of those numbers six if I have to like eight at a stretch (laughs) yeah and we all have our funny little like intricacies don't we yeah and this is where they come out so it's my favorite (laughs) I'm like tell me more weird things about you um another similar one ish is that um I I seem to have a thing for like number plates or that I'm just really good I take note of people's number plates and I'm I'm have them in my memory or I memorize them. It's because you watch murder mysteries. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> You'd be a great witness. Yeah. I have no idea about car type, but I'd be able to tell you their number plate. And like no one even knows their own number plate. So that's yeah. like really specific. Yeah. What a skill. People like, you know, when you go parking and sometimes you have to enter your number plate and people are like, oh, and I'll blurt the number plate out and I'll be like, oh, oh. <laughs> oh my God, I outed myself. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, Awesome. (laughs) And very last question since I love quotes so much. What's your favorite quote? Yay. Oh my God. I've been listening to some of your podcasts. Like, let me just say before we finish with a quote, I love listening to your laugh. It's the best. And I'm like, there's, there's that laugh where you're like, ah, like that's funny. And then there's this laugh that you do that's like a real genuine like throat, like deep, like chuckle laugh. And I love it. I can just tell you're genuinely like having a good old laugh, which is oh, just so Oh, that genuine. makes me so happy. Except now I'm like, I don't want to laugh in case I do one of them. Like, I've got just You'll notice it next time, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so nice. I love but, that. Yeah. Part of, one of my favourite parts of listening to your podcast is the quotes at the end. I love it. And there's some that you hear and you're like, oh, yes, like that's such a goodie. And then there's some that you're like, oh, I've never heard that before. Add that to my little list. Okay. So I have two. Um, one that has, I've always loved. I think I like discovered it on Tumblr when I was like, a young little teenager, like so many years ago. Oh my God, um, Tumblr. I know, right? <laughs> Tumblr. <laughs> Those were the days. Um, but it is, um, so there is beauty in everything, just not everybody can see it. I love that one. Um, I love it. I think it's, I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've had it in my mind since I was like a young little kid and I think it's just so great. And it's just that, like to me, that is that not everyone can can recognise like your beauty or the beauty in something, but that it doesn't matter you know it's if it's beautiful to you whether it's yourself or like your art or 
your creativity or your work or anything like there is just because someone can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Mm, so I love beautiful. that one. And then my other, my other favorite one, um, which is one I learned on my yoga teacher training is what fire doesn't burn. It purifies. So when you think of, you know, when you burn gold, it purifies the gold more. Um, or, you know, things like if you think about Australia when we've been on fire and, you know, our, gum trees get burnt back and then they sprout brand new little leaves and things like that. Like if, if it's not going to burn and if it's not going to disintegrate you, which in itself is, you know, maybe a euphemism or a metaphor for, I guess, breaking down to then be able to create again. If it doesn't do that, you know, you're walking through the fire and you need to become more pure or to become more, you know, to shed things that you don't need just to become a, a, a more truer, I guess, real version of you. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. I've never heard that one before, which also is really quite hard mm. to find a quote I've never heard. There you go. The, the quote girl has been outquoted. <laughs> you and your eight hope high achieving have to outquote me. <laughs> oh my God. I'm giving too much of myself away. Just the things that I say. I <laughs> love it so much. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for joining me and particularly at the end of a night shift. I appreciate it so much and I hope you can Go and have a beautiful nap now and enjoy your weekend. I certainly will. I will. And thanks so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Um, and it's so great to hear your laugh in in real life through a screen. <laughs> that was almost your throat laugh. That was almost. Oh, I'm like, oh, my God, what is my throat laugh? <laughs> thanks so much, lovely. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, I just find other people's pathways so fascinating and how they tweak and edit until they find what works for them. So interesting to get an insight into nursing and how many misconceptions there can be about what it involves as a career. What an amazing role model Georgie is for aspiring young nurses. As always, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a rating if you haven't. It literally just takes one click. It's so valuable to help keep the neighborhood growing. And of course, keep your eyes peeled for any neighborhood watch stories so we can keep championing your community heroes too. Have an amazing week and I hope you're seizing your yay.